Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. The gospel reading for tonight is that third section of Matthew chapter 25. This is our last Sunday in a long series we've been calling Wait For It. We've been acknowledging over these past couple months that we live in between times, in between our recognition of what God wants and our experience of God actually getting what God wants. This world is not yet as God dreams it could be, And so how are we meant to live in the meantime? Jesus had some ideas about that, and he told stories about that in Matthew 25. Here we go. Jesus said, When the Son of Humanity comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then the righteous will answer him, Well, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Oh, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked, and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm going to take a risk here, kind of a no bullshit risk, believing that here is a safe place for such a risk, a safe place for a preacher to tell a particular kind of truth. Here it is. I think 
It is my low-grade, chronic, not acute, everyday baseline of functional depression. Depression that is not scary or dangerous to me at this time, I promise, but exacerbated by pandemic slash politics and exhausting in my own spirit in this season. Perhaps you know that feeling as well. It is that depression that makes me wanna fight with every word Jesus says lately. Maybe you have noticed. Tonight, I just wanna tell him that his little ditty about the son of humanity sitting on a throne of glory, giving thumbs up and thumbs down to livestock, but really people like Joaquin Phoenix in the Roman Colosseum presiding over the gladiatorial games, the formerly humble and most humanly human son of humanity, now in his glory, assigning eternal life to some and eternal punishment to others, has made a lot of work for us Christian theologians who argue for God's unending and universal love. It's a lot of work trying to clarify for the church and its neighbors that Jesus told stories meant to elicit passionate responses to the reign of God and not meant to explicate doctrine, much less formulate a geography of the afterlife of which Jesus never claimed to know any more than any of the rest of us. It's a lot of work, Jesus. Thanks, man. And while I'm at it, I'd also like to register a complaint that an entire ethos of white first world Christian charity has grown out of this story where Christians are equated with privileged and wealthy people who have resources to spare and have to be cajoled, incentivized, and threatened into throwing some of their extra toward the poor which obliterates about 99% of the work Jesus actually did in his lifetime, gathering the poor and marginalized and despised all around him, making friends out of them, making a church out of them. Not the religious wealthy, not the wealthy religious. But somehow this story has functioned in the mostly white North American progressive Protestant church to make us imagine ourselves as the givers or withholders of charity or benevolence or outreach or whatever you want to call it. And has taught us to see the poor as the other. Helpless until we help. Endlessly needy of our generous impulses. Not a word here about economic injustice. No raging overturn of tables in the temple marketplace. Just endless opportunities to help those less fortunate. And now I'm using words not from the story Jesus told, but inspired by it nonetheless. Along with the expectation of eternal congratulation for our minimal efforts costing none of our privilege, leveling no mountains, exalting no valleys. Jesus Christ, what were you thinking? So, you know, that's kind of where I am these days. Not an altogether comfortable place for someone who knows that Sunday is coming with a relentless rhythm, and we really need a word here tonight, a word of gospel, some good news. A saving grace. And what if this is the week that it just doesn't happen? 
So I pray on that some. You know the way you pray when you mostly can't, when you just kind of sit around sending weak little pings into the vast, neutral, empty universe, waiting and wishing for a whisper of reply. And then it comes. And then it comes. And it says, what if he had never told this one? What if it vanished from Jesus' lips, from Matthew's pages, from the church's memory? Just erase it. See what happens. So I did, in my mind. And here's what happened. Without this story of various kindnesses meeting various needs in the human family, what we have is a collection of stories about Jesus, the son of humanity, caring for his fellow human beings with not kindness, but supernatural remedies for whatever ails them if they are hungry. He multiplies scant supplies of food to feed thousands with enough leftovers to send everybody home with tomorrow's breakfast. If they are sick, he cools their fever with a touch. He repairs broken bodies with a simple caress. He mixes spit with dust for a magical poultice that confers healing to optic nerves and auditory processing. If their bodies and spirits are overpowered by forces too strong to be anything but demonic, he shouts down the devils and terrifies them into submission. If there is a storm, he calms it. If there is a fight, he wins it. If there's a death, he reverses it. And we... We who have no magic in our hands or in our spit, we who suffer storms and submit to mortality, we could never hope to emulate any of that. We'd be done before we started. Jesus, the great physician, would have no residents or interns to train. This era of healing and help would end with his ascension. Christians on the ground would be left with nothing but thoughts and prayers against the rising tide of human suffering. It makes me wonder if this story about the sheep and goats was Jesus' effort late in the game, Matthew 25, remember, to recruit his followers to what must have seemed an impossible task to those who witnessed again and again and again how he did it, with a word, with a touch, in short, with a miracle, Maybe he told this story to bring all those problems and all those solutions down to earth, down to our level, so we would know what to do when he was gone. You're going to do what I did, he was saying, not with miracles of multiplication, not with son of man superpowers, but with a habit of walking in the direction of the needs you see. And then meeting those needs by moving yourself toward them with the resources you've already got. Nothing flashy, nothing hard, just food for hungry people. A place to stay the night if they need one. Whatever they need, whatever you've got, give that. Speaking of which, people who are hungry, people who are sick, etc. I wonder too if without this story of kindness meeting need, we might have turned our whole religion into a spiritual enterprise. 
concerned exclusively with saving souls, worrying little to none about the bodies all around us. Maybe Jesus knew us well enough to know our propensity to turn religious faith into a spiritual fetish wherein we wrangle and worry about ethereal eternity but give little attention to the physicality of ourselves and our neighbors. Maybe he knew how happy we would be to spend century after century evaluating each other's sins, judging the sorry states of each other's souls without giving a thought to the economic realities that leave some people's bodies hungry. Some people's bodies without health care. Some people's bodies riding the school to prison pipeline. By some, I mean that one in four U.S. American households are food insecure in 2020, meaning they don't really know whether there will be enough food for today for everybody in the house to get something to eat. By some, I mean a quarter of a million children in Texas surviving without any form of health insurance, which is fully one-third of the nation's population of uninsured children. By some, I mean that 61% of our nation's incarcerated population have black or brown bodies, and that prisons in the United States hold 20% of the world's prisoners. One in five incarcerated people on the globe are in our country. All of that in this Christian nation, in this buckle of the Bible belt, in this age when a certain kind of Christianity has and clings to political power, and where almost all our lawmakers claim Christian as their religious commitment. That's what I mean by some, in case you were wondering. Maybe Jesus worried that we Christians would not take each other's bodies seriously. So he told us a story about the most basic care of bodies, about the very bottommost tier of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, hungry bodies, thirsty bodies, bodies in need of clothing and shelter, basic protection from the elements, sick bodies in need of tender care, imprisoned bodies in need of companionship. Take care of each other's physicality, these beloved bodies, he said, not with miracles, just with sharing. Leave the soul saving up to me, he said. I've got an appointment in Jerusalem that's going to take care of all that. You go on now. You can do it. Shoo, shoo. I wonder, too, if if we disappeared this story about the sharing sheep and the got mine goats, we who wish with all our hearts to follow Jesus straight to heaven might have made the mistake of thinking then that's all we need to do to connect with him, himself a kind of vertical through line, direct to the heart of God, so that what's most valuable, most necessary, is a singular and individualistic and personal, if you will, relationship with Jesus Christ. If Jesus had gotten a whiff of our remarkable penchant for self-preservation, if he had imagined ahead to the imposition of our Western autonomy and capitalistic self-interest, supplanting his earlier insistence that only by loving each other can we actually love God, maybe he thought he could head it off by telling a story that submerges his own self in a sea of suffering humanity. 
Wherever there were hungry, lonely, sad people, I was there, he said. Wherever you saw forgotten cities with children suffering the consequences of contaminated water, or prisons full to the brim with society's deep dysfunction, or emergency rooms overflowing with those too sick to stay home and too poor to get care any other way, I was there. If he knew that we would crave his company and his approval, and perhaps in his own compassion for us, he wanted us to know where we could find him. We would find him, he said, wherever we found human need. The son of humanity never went anywhere else, it seemed. From a feed trough cradle to a borrowed tomb, traveling the blurred edges of humanity's margins his whole life long and apparently forever after. Okay, so maybe this story is not so bad after all. Maybe Jesus knew best. We needed something to serve as a corrective to some of the most corrosive ideas we would inevitably import into the work he left us with. And maybe, now I'm speaking in the first place to myself, just maybe he would suggest that if I find myself with enough food and clean water, sufficient protection by clothing and shelter, in decent health and in possession of my basic freedom to come and go as I please, maybe even if my circumstances are not everything I wish for them to be right this minute, I've got some choices to make about how to share what I've got with anybody who doesn't, Maybe he would invite me to feel empowered for kindness, not for newsworthy miracles of statistically impressive generosity, but for the simple vision to just see needs and meet them where I can. What would make you feel better, he might ask, as a way of helping me see? And if I said, phone call from a friend, a piece of mail wishing me well in this weird and worrisome season. A batch of cookies I didn't make. A text that says, I'm thinking of you. He might raise his eyebrows to indicate I'd found my answer. Maybe he'd put himself in my shoes or your shoes or our shoes. I was quarantined and you sent me a card I was lonely and you remember to check on me. I was exhausted from working and worrying both in equal measure and you brought me some dinner. See, it's not that hard, he might say. If you love me, be kind to whomever needs kindness. And by doing that, you'll have been kind even unto me. Now, listen, church, and please trust me on this. I have been the recipient of so much kindness these last many months. I do not actually need any more from any of you. I am well cared for, and I am grateful to God and to you for your consideration of my family and me. But listen, church, and please trust me on this. 
among us, there are many who are not faring as well. It is not usually literal hunger and thirst for the likes of us. And thanks be to God, we have had few infiltrations of COVID to contend with in our church. But there is an epidemic of emotional exhaustion and long loneliness among us. Not everybody will tell us always that they are suffering. So maybe for now, the safe bet would be to assume that pretty much everybody you know is needful of some basic relational care, hungry and thirsty for expressions of concern, happy to receive someone's assurance that they have been remembered. How strange it is to be invited by Jesus out of our private bubbles of pandemic depression to imagine how to move toward someone else's need without breaking quarantine, of course, without endangering anybody's health. We who are committed to following Jesus, which means we are committed to locating Jesus in the heartache of each other, are finding that compassion in the time of COVID requires creativity above all else. Well, creativity and maybe for some of us, a little kick in the pants, which Jesus is not above giving us if that's what it takes in the form of a story about sheep and goats and himself in the needs of our neighbors. I guess I better stop arguing with him and just go find him. I think I know where to look. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.